You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Um, It's so good to be with you today. It's also extremely strange to be saying that for the last time, um, at least in my current capacity. Um, We have known and loved this church for the last uh, almost decade in many different iterations from Williamsburg Church 2.0 when we first joined in 2013 um, to Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg, which we became as we merged with the Trinity Grace Parish Network and of course Oaks Church Brooklyn as we are today. Um, We are moving to Ireland as a family where John and I are from, specifically to Northern Ireland where Luke and Lynn, I don't know if you're in the room, they're moving back to Northern Northern Ireland very soon after being here with us for a year. We can catch up on everything when we're back in good old Northern Ireland. Um, But in the midst of just all the sadness uh, that leaving brings, we're also really grateful to be leaving a people and a place that we still deeply love. Um, Because that's not always the case when people leave. Um, But obviously that makes saying goodbye particularly difficult. Um, Today I have been given the opportunity to share a few parting words. Next Sunday is actually our last Sunday, but um, I didn't know that I would be able to say anything coherent next week. I don't know what made me think I could do it today either. But I've never felt quite so nervous about speaking. Um, I think it's just the emotion of it all. Um, I will cry more than I usually do. Um, The fear of talking too long. Uh, Patrick was over the other day and he was like, less is more. I was like, I don't think that's how it's going to go. I think it's just going to be more is more. And and that's it. Sorry, Patrick. Um, Danny and Victoria were over yesterday looking after our kids. Shout out to our amazing grow group. And they reminded me that in the not too distant past, 45 minutes was the average service. Length. So I'm, I'm reclaiming some of those minutes today. They, none of, they said none of you would mind. So there we go. Uh, just, uh, just settle in. Um, 
but also the reality is that I will just never be able to adequately do justice to these last 10 years and all the highs and lows that have been the history of this community. Um, I'm currently trying to write up um, the history, so hopefully uh, in the not too distant future you can learn more of the details, but the majority of what I'm going to say today is just simply anchored in the reality that being part of this church family has been one of the greatest gifts of our lives. And having the privilege of pastoring this community these last four years has been such an honor. And we are so grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness. I love that the worship team just sang out and encouraged us to sing out words of just God's faithfulness because that's mostly what I feel so grateful for today, that in all of the change and transition, his goodness and love has continued to pursue this community. Um, so today is going to be like part teaching, part trip down memory lane, part something akin to an Oscar speech as I say lots of thank yous and speak words of blessing and encouragement. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just really grateful that I get to have this little moment with you all. But actually, before we do anything, I, I've got to put this down. I just, I just had to do that. <laughs> um, right at the beginning today, I want to take a moment to honor someone who has faithfully loved this community, who has poured so much into it and sacrificed so much for its well-being, and they're not someone who appears up too much up here on the stage, and that is my husband, John. feels very fitting on this Father's Day that I just get to affirm and celebrate the role that you have had as a father in this house. Um, there was a stage in our history where although women were empowered in many different ways, um, many people didn't feel that women should be able to teach and preach. And the first time that I felt like I wanted to share a word of prophecy publicly with the community, I was told, you know, I could, but I would need to have my husband standing next to me as my covering. And as that boundary line gradually began to fade, John got out of the way as quickly as he possibly could and has continually stepped back in order for me to step more fully into what we felt that God has called me to do. And although I have been the more visible one, certainly in these last five years, this has always been very much a team effort. Um, John was the first worship leader in this community back when there was no music at all. Um, and he's led countless worship gatherings, showed up at countless early morning prayer meetings. He's been a community group leader. He listened to every single sermon I ever taught for the first two years, gave me notes, then listened again that Sunday, gave me encouragement. And, and more importantly, he has wrangled our children every single Sunday since I joined staff. I call them Super Dad Sundays for that reason. Um, and that has meant that he hasn't been able to participate fully the way he maybe once did. But even... Even in that role, you have just carried such a presence of love and wisdom and encouragement. And if we all had glasses in our hands, which we do not, I would want us to raise them and toast the one and only John Ryan. John Ryan. 
um, so John and I moved to New York after two years of being in LA, and we felt this nudge from the spirit to spend some time here on our way home. We had absolutely no intention of staying for as long as we have. Uh, the proof of that is in the insufficient kitchen utensils we have. Um, the other night, Anthony was uh, carving a lamb that he'd made for our final team meal together, and he had to ask Carlos, who lives in a van, to go down and get his knife collection, which was more substantial than ours. Um, we never really felt like it was worthwhile investing in those sorts of things, and we might only be here for a year or two, but little did we know that the Lord had some other ideas. Um, but 12 years ago, when we were preparing to leave our home and embark on this adventure to the US, I was praying one day, and I felt like God deeply impressed upon my heart the verses from the passage that we just heard John read in our teaching text. And that morning, it was the message paraphrase that was in front of me, and it said it like this. You're going to walk into large, bustling cities you didn't build, well-furnished houses you didn't buy, come upon wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive orchards that you didn't plant. So although we had no idea what was ahead of us when we got onto that plane with two suitcases and a computer screen and enough money to do us until that first Christmas, um, we had this sense that we were moving in line with God's provision for us and that we were being obedient to what he was inviting us into. But I also remember on that very first week after we'd arrived in the US and I was overwhelmed by the choice we'd made and lonely and questioning what on earth we were doing, saying goodbye to family and friends and jobs, ministry, everything that was familiar and comfortable. And one of my readings was from Matthew 19:29, and it says this, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And my only journal entry for that particular day says, this better be true, period. <laughs> and this community has been a very significant way that God has fulfilled this promise to us. Through this community, we have received hundred times as much. This community has given so much more to us than we've given to it. And, and today we're not only saying goodbye to this beloved community in its current reality, but we're also marking the end of an era of what was, what this community has meant to us in its entirety from the beginning. And we're also acknowledging what is still to come and what we will only get to enjoy from a distance. And so today I just wanna to speak to some of that, what this community has been and what it will continue to be. If you were to scroll to the very beginning of our Instagram account, you would see that the first photo is of me and Melissa McAllister. You can put that up, Janice, there we go. Um, it's somewhat misleading because it kind of implies that I was there from the beginning and I absolutely was not. Um, we were just, you know, it was just the beginning of Instagram, I guess. Um, but it is fitting for me personally because it was through this woman, Melissa, and also for Rachel, I think as well, um, that John and I first connected with the church back in 2013. And when we arrived, the community already had a long history, um, which had started with Rob and Sarah Elkin, moving to the city to plant in 2005. I couldn't find a photograph of both of them on their own. So they're, they're the couple here in the bottom left. That was um, one of our traditional uh, Easter Sunday morning sunrise walks across um, Williamsburg Bridge. But Sarah was born and bred in New York. Rob was from Memphis. And while living in South Carolina, they felt the sense of call from God to plant a church in New York. 
And how it happened was that they accidentally got on a Brooklyn-bound L train when they were in the East Village scouting out the city. And they stumbled out onto Bedford Avenue and they couldn't shake the feeling that the church they were supposed to plant would be a church in Williamsburg of Williamsburg and for Williamsburg. And so the church was originally simply called Williamsburg Church. And they first started meeting in Cafe Grumpy in Greenpoint and then in a few temporary spaces after that. And finally, as they were searching for a more permanent home, Rob responded to, I think it was a Craigslist advertisement, and he walked into this building, into 231 Ainsley Street, and he knew immediately that, um, that this, this place was going to be the church's home. And much as this building is kind of falling apart, I wore this dress because I ripped it on those stairs out the back. <laughs> Um, and I've never forgiven the stairs for it because it is vintage. Um, but um, this building, other than God and God's presence and provision, this building has been the one consistent since we walked in. So many people have come and gone. The building has, has um, remained the same. But even though um, this community has gone through so much transition from those early years, and the vast majority of those original members no longer call this church home, the church that was birthed by Rob and Sarah all those years ago is still active and alive today in us and in this place. And so much of what we're living into today is a legacy of people that most of you in this room have never even heard of. In the passage we read, um, God promises the people abundance, but it is abundance that's actually built on the foundations of what's gone before, of what other people have worked for. We have reaped the benefits from what other people before us have sown. We have come upon wells that we didn't dig. We have come upon vineyards and olive groves that we didn't plant. And I remember not long after moving to the city, just asking God, you know, what does it look like to be rooted in a place that feels so temporary? And I felt like God said to me, Gemma, anyone is willing to sow where they know they're going to reap. Anyone will plant where they know that they will enjoy the harvest, but will you sow where you might not reap? And will you tend where you might not ever fully see the fruit? And this is what we see all throughout scripture. This mandate shouldn't surprise us. Countless people in scripture had a sense of vision for what was ahead, but they never got to live into the fullness of it. But the role they played all the same was vital. And as the people of God, we are being asked to sow seeds of his kingdom for the good of the city, not just in the present, but also for the future. And some of that fruit we might get to enjoy now, and some of it might be for people who never even know your name. When we first came into this church, there were 15 people sitting at the back. We didn't even meet up here. There was just like a little area cornered off there um, with a big Ikea corner sofa and a bunch of small uh, like cafe style tables and chairs. And there was a big bookcase kind of cornering off that little area. I think there's a picture, Janice, you can put up. The one before. Oh, maybe the one before again. <laughs> So I'm going really slowly. Um, so this was actually a chair building party that happened later as we grew. But you'll get the idea of like that is where, that's what we walked into on our first ever uh, Sunday here. You get that we had that purple gray color in the bottom half of the room. Um, there was no musical worship. The gathering was very simply Rob sharing something from scripture. We would have some conversation. We would break up into smaller groups and, and pray for each other. And then we'd eat bagels for brunch. It was simple and beautiful. And those people quickly became like family to us. 
And on that very first Sunday, it was Sarah Merton's birthday. Um, and so she said to me, uh, we're going to Caracas tonight if you want to join us. And um, that was the first of Sarah being my emergency contact in New York. And she has been to that this day. Um, there is no one quite like Sarah Merton. There is a photograph of her um, surrounded by young people. She's the only adult in the, the picture. So you should know who she is. She would absolutely hate that I'm doing this, but she's out of town. So she never gets to know. And, uh, but I want all of you to know. Um, so she was our first administrator. She started the children's ministry of our church, the identity chant that our children sing, Sarah. Um, she, she painted and renovated the room upstairs along with another friend, Mary Kate, so that it could become a nursery. It's her handwriting all over the drawers up there. Um, her fingerprints are literally all over this space. And as one of those original 15 members, I just, uh, you're not here, Sarah, but I honor you today. Um, and all of the rest of them. Um, but I have to confess that we, we did not walk in and think, oh, we find our tribe. We walked out and we said, lovely people, but that's not going to be our church. Um, and as we continued to church shop, as you do when you move to New York City, um, we gradually started to feel like this was the community that God was inviting us to belong to for however long we happened to be there. And Williamsburg Church became our church. And we quite soon offered to start leading worship. We had the privilege of doing that for the first couple of years. And we have so many fond memories of that season in the life of our church. There was such a rich sense of community, um, so much shared life, such a sincere desire to live the way of Jesus and to love the neighborhood well. And you have no idea how many specific prayers were prayed by those people that this community would be diverse enough to look like Brooklyn. Um, there was a very real sense in which people expressed their needs and those needs were met inside the community, whether that was practical help moving apartments or setting up a classroom, providing baby clothes for a family, um, hosting baby showers and birthday parties. And although the original 15 people uh, we joined were mostly transplants, we soon had families from the neighborhood with teenage kids. One of those teenagers is now a beautiful young woman who led worship for us this morning. And I'm so proud of you. But we just, we'd have this very simple community where young professionals would sit next to friends who were homeless. And even in that small community, um, although we still didn't have the, have the diversity that we hoped for and prayed for, we had someone from each of the eight major ethnic groups represented in Williamsburg, at least one person from every decade of life. Um, from Rob and Sarah's uh, son, I think Atticus was three at the time, to um, Junior, who lived around the corner and was almost 80. Um, is there a picture of Junior? Yeah, there he is. <laughs> um, his wife had died and he had no children of his own and so we took it upon ourselves to become family to him and in spite of his very obvious grumpiness he really loved us um, but sadly he died at the beginning of the pandemic but he was very dear to us and he had his own special comfy chair right at the end of that that first row but after a little while, Williamsburg Church merged with Trinity Grace Church. And at that time, um, Trinity Grace was a network of parishes across the city. Um, Tyler and Kirsten Staten came from TGC East Village. Um, I think there's a picture of them being prayed for. Look, they look like babies for anybody. <laughs> um, I think this was like their blessing in sending off from East Village. But all of the people in this photograph came with them. Um, to this community, they all became leaders, elders. and um, But they all had this real 
real desire to partner with what God was doing in Williamsburg. And on Easter Sunday, 2015, we officially launched as Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg. Um, the, the photo, um, yeah, does everybody see the screen we had? That's what our lyrics were on. We've really, you know, progressed. <laughs> um, the Trinity Grace Network had similar values of being in the city for the good of the city, but suddenly Williamsburg Church was no longer a small independent church plant, but part of this established network of churches, and there was a genuine sense of excitement and anticipation of, of what God was going to do in this next chapter. There was fresh energy and vitality, and because TGC was this established network, many people started flocking to our doors, and we grew pretty rapidly, hence the chair building party. Um, the next photo, actually, after this, you can kind of see like everyone crammed in the back. There was this, we had these two classrooms built out in this back area because a, a school used it as well during the week. Um, and those were later knocked down. The space was repainted. I think I put up some photographs there of that too. There you go. Um, <laughs> But um, there was this real buzz about the place. But as we grew, I think it became harder to maintain that kind of rich sense of homegrown organic community. And merging two communities has unique challenges. As I'm sure you can imagine, there were established friendship groups and rhythms and dynamics in each, as well as navigating new leadership personalities and structures and sometimes competing visions. And this season was inevitably marked by some tension and some bumps in the road, which would ultimately lead to significant people choosing to leave the community. Um, but as always has been the case, so many people simultaneously started coming and deciding to make this place their home, and we continued to experience God's presence and his leading. By the time Trinity Grace Network dissolved, we became our own dependent church again, and we had our first elder board in place. We had deacons serving in discipleship, justice and mercy, also deacons of generosity who oversaw the deacons fund, which we still had to, to try and um, meet the needs, the financial needs within the community. But pretty soon we started having conversations about what a new name for our church might be that reflected in a more obvious way who we felt God was calling us to be. And over and over again, from within the church and outside the church, Isaiah 61 kept being prayed over us. And that became a really important passage. And it was out of that passage that, that the name changed to Oaks Church, Brooklyn. And I'm glossing over years of history, countless staffing and leadership changes, so many people who would come and love and leave and, and shape this church in beautiful ways. A grueling pandemic uh, when Sunday gatherings looked like this for the longest time. Is there a picture of a very empty church space? There we go, with Peter and Sean Bay and doing the live stream and, and many of you sticking it out, just watching the live stream every week, not to mention a lead pastor transition in the middle of it all. Um, Tyler and Kirsten decided to move to Bridgetown Church in Portland and in May 2021, we said goodbye to them after seven years of faithful leadership. Tyler was an extraordinary teacher, a person of real vision who, who really tried to model what he called people to. Um, and on a personal note, he really intentionally empowered me as a female teacher and pastor. And, and I might not be doing what I have been doing if it wasn't for his encouragement. Um, and Patrick was then installed as lead pastor, which we are so blessed by. if I've ever known a pastor um, who is such an intentional shepherd. Um, he really loves and cares really well 
in practical ways, even just this week with everything him and Catherine are juggling. You know, John was away in Ireland for the week and he showed up with a, a baked CD and helped wrangle my children with me. He really deeply cares. He listens and he doesn't enforce his agenda, but he seeks to listen to the Lord, to listen to the people. And he is so deeply committed to moving at God's pace and bringing everyone along with him. And so I, I just honor you today for being the amazing person, pastor and friend that you are. And in all of the change, um, there are undeniably some common threads that have been present through the entirety of this church's history. And I believe that all of you are called to continue to steward and champion those values. So I just want to talk about three. The first one really relates to this commitment to living according to the supremacy of Christ that is expressed and demonstrated through prayer and worship and a life that reflects his lordship. In our teaching text, uh, we read a Jewish prayer known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it's really easy in a city like New York to pay lip service to the gospel. You can fill your entire calendar with church events without actually ever submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. But Jesus gives a clear invitation that those who want to be his disciples lay down their lives. They surrender their own agenda and seek first the kingdom of God, trusting that in doing so, they will discover the life that they were always meant to live. And the invitation is to be a people whose lives are oriented towards Christ, who are desperate to, to know him and learning to trust him in all things, who worship extravagantly and who pray faithfully and expectantly. Um, some years after Williamsburg Church had began meeting in this space, so years before we arrived, um, tragedy struck the community. And I can't speak to what happened because I wasn't around at that time, but the church made the very difficult decision to close its doors. Um, but rather than giving up on everything, um, a few committed people gathered in homes to pray. And they prayer walked the neighborhood. They listened to, to neighbors at the Williamsburg houses. And they, they turned in desperation to the only place they knew to go, which was to God's presence and to prayer. And sometime later, with a renewed sense of vision birthed out of prayer, they reopened the doors and they kind of referred to themselves as Williamsburg Church 2.0. That was the community that we joined in 2013, a community whose foundations were laid in prayer. And although musical worship wasn't something that was happening when we first arrived, it quickly became central and a way for us to encounter and enjoy the presence of God together, to praise and celebrate, to lament and intercede. We had Brooklyn Worship Nights. We called it Tent of Meeting. Now we call it Dwell. We've always created space to delight in God's presence and to be formed into the likeness of Christ. And some of my favorite memories are of the, the beauty of some of our liturgical gatherings, like Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. I remember when these rugs were instituted as, as a, just a, a special and sacred place of prayer where we could come. And I have so many memories of myself and others just being utterly undone in God's presence of weeping and dancing and sweet communion with Jesus. Prayer has been the lifeblood of this community. From the get-go, we had weekly rhythm of prayer, first at Transmitter Pier, um, later at a particular tree in McCarran Park. Prayer ministry and prayer ministry training became central. We eventually turned the upstairs nursery into our first 24-7 prayer room. And after that, we had these prayer hubs that would meet early on Wednesday mornings all around the city. Um, we later rented a storefront on Grand Street for an entire month to fill it with 24-7 prayer. 
Um, and even, even right from the beginning of the pandemic, a group met nightly on a prayer Zoom. Many of you are in this room. Um, it then developed into night watch prayer. Rachel, keep me right, but I think it was like 100 plus nights of prayer that a group of people from this church just kept meeting to pray for our city, pray for our church, pray for the world. Um, we have men's prayer now. We've had a prayer room at the beginning of the year. We've just had prayer walk. We've got communal prayer hours. This is the heartbeat of this community. And I wonder, have you found yourself dancing to the beat of that drum? And if not, what is setting the rhythm for your day? or your week? How are you ordering your life around the Shema, loving God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength? How are you posturing yourself to be led by the Spirit of God? Um, as I've been preparing for today, I had this sense that right now, as a church community, we're kind of like the children of Israel camped out in a place in the wilderness. We're just sort of in this particular place. But I believe that a pillar of smoke is going to appear by day. And I wonder, will we be attentive enough to notice and to follow where God is leading? A pillar of fire will appear at night. And will we be awake and alert to what God is doing? I think the invitation, Oaks Church, the phrase I've kept having is to keep the oil in your lamp burning. And I think you keep it burning in prayer and worship. So don't, don't let that flame go out. The second thread I would name is the willingness to be formed in Christ-likeness through commitment to this church family. Our teaching text spoke of the commandments of God saying, you know, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, live according to the teaching together, cling to it, do not depart from it. We are called to be set apart to live countercultural lives amidst the majority culture. We're not supposed to just blend in. Our lives should unapolog unapologetically declare the supremacy of Christ. And also, I think, offer a, pro a prophetic critique of the culture, pointing people to the way of Jesus, to the way of goodness and wholeness and holiness. And undoubtedly, what we will miss most about this community are the friendships and the sense of family that we've known. I couldn't even begin to tell you all the names of the people that we have shared meals with and holidays with, people who have brought us meals, people who have cared for our kids, um, people who have become family to us far from our own family. And in every season in the life of this church, there's always been a deep desire for rich community among the people of God. We've done it through neighborhood dinners and alpha community groups, core groups, heaven to earth, the good way, now the rooted community. All of these demonstrate the desire to have a shared life around the teaching and practices of Jesus. And one of our favorite stories, personally, um, actually relates to our difficult journey with infertility. Uh, we were about to embark on pursuing IVF treatment. It was a very much a leap of faith to start that process here, because in Northern Ireland, where I'm from, it would be free. Thank you to the NHS. Um, but we, we had our first follow-up appointment with the doctor and we received the news that things were even more bleak than we had anticipated and we're told that not only did we have to move on this, but we had to act fast. The only issue was that we didn't have 12,000 plus dollars sitting in our bank account. So we asked the community to pray and they rallied around us and they prayed for us and within a weekend, I tell you, a weekend from within the people in our community and from completely unlikely sources outside of the community, we had enough money to start the treatment. Um, we just didn't have enough money to pay rent. And uh, 
and a couple from the church came around for dinner one night and they said, um, we just feel like we're supposed to give you this specific amount of money. And that was our rent covered for that month. So we feel so grateful for the way that we have experienced just like the mutual sharing of life and generosity um, where there's no needy person among us. And God's invitation is for the family of God to live these interdependent lives of mutual love and generosity, to humbly name what we need uh, with people that we're learning to love and trust. And I want to reiterate something that I said on Pentecost Sunday, which was this phrase, what's in your hand, that God asked Moses. And I want to encourage you, rather than focusing on what you might gain from being in a community like this, to start asking what God might be asking you to give away. What is it that God has given you to steward that you can bring to contribute to this community? I've kept thinking about this passage from Exodus 35, where Moses invites all of the people to bring all of their treasures and resources for the building of the tabernacle. And I think you're approaching a season like that in the life of this church, where God is going to invite you to partner with him in building something that will require everyone's investment. And I don't know if that's financial or spiritual or both, but what is in your hand? What could you bring for the building up of this place for the glory of God? After we had decided that Williamsburg Church was probably not going to be the church for us, John had this vision in worship one day when he visited our old church in LA and he had this backpack on and he felt like Jesus was saying, you know, open up the backpack and he opened it up and there was all of this treasure inside. And he felt like God said, you have received so much from my hand. It's, it's time to start giving it away. And, you know, at first when he told me that and he said, I think we're supposed to make Williamsburg Church our home, I was like, no, nah, I don't know that that's what he's saying. We should pray about that some more. But we did pray about it some more. And we really felt like we were being called to this people and specifically that we were not being permitted to spectate at the sidelines but we were being asked to get our feet wet and get our hands dirty. I had never shared a prophetic word publicly until I was a part of this church. John and I had never led worship together until we got that going in this church. I'd never preached a sermon before I was an elder. And when I joined staff as associate pastor, I had no real formal pastoral experience. This role gave me the space to, to grow. I listened back to some of my old sermons. I'm like, well, I don't think that's very good. Um, but you guys were so gracious and listened to me and let me learn and make mistakes. And I just wanna say that for those of you who are sitting on your gifts, who are waiting until you kind of feel like ready, I would just encourage you to lean in. If there is misalignment between your beliefs and your lifestyle, absolutely take some time to get things in order. But we can't just indefinitely prepare to live. We can't just indefinitely prepare to really root ourselves in a community. At some point, you just need to take a step. Saying, oh, I'm just, I'm not old enough or I don't have enough experience, those are literally the words of every single person who's ever led in this community. That's just the reality of being part of this church. Don't let that be a reason to not lean in. I love that the passage begins that call to rich community by saying, impress these teachings on your children. 
Um, in the last seven years or so, we've had the incredible joy of bringing four beautiful children into this world uh, and into this family. All four of our kids have been dedicated here. And I am so grateful that their early formative Christian experience has been in this place. And I want to say a huge thank you to all of you, you know who you are, um, who have just loved our kids. Um, and specifically, you know, to anyone who's been involved in, in kids' ministry, past and present, thank you so much for the way that you impress the teaching of Jesus on our kids. It so reflects the kingdom of God. And I'm so grateful for all of you. I have no idea what our church experience is going to look like when we move to Northern Ireland. But I can just, you know, imagine the conversations that we're going to have with our kids. Like, what do you mean I have to wear my shoes at church? And where's all the young, cool people who will chase me and spin me around? Um, but joking aside, please pray for us in that regard and pray for our kids because church has always been a given for them. They were born into this church. They have countless aunts and uncles and friends that are like cousins and they've never not been known and that will be a new experience for them. Finally, I mentioned earlier this, this initial vision that Rob and Sarah had to be a church in and for the neighborhood. Jeremiah 29, seven says this, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. It's really easy to live in a city like New York and just live as a consumer to just take from the city what is there to enjoy. And it's easy for the church to exist simply for itself and the people inside its walls. But the church was never supposed to exist just for itself. The church exists to partner with God in his mission to restore all of creation and to right relationship with him. We are called to seek the good of the city, to live in such a way that we create space for flourishing. When Jesus was asked in Mark 12, what is the greatest commandment? He responded by quoting the Shema, which is in our teaching text. He said, the most important commandment is this, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But he added a very important extra that wasn't in the original text. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Here he's directly quoting Leviticus 19. He's bringing these two fundamental commandments together saying, these things can't be separated. Love for God must overflow in and be expressed through love for people. First John 1 repeats the same teaching. He says, you can't say you love God and hate people. And hatred is not just active hostility. Apathy and indifference can cause just as much damage and pain. And in all of its iterations, this church has always been deeply committed to loving and serving this borough and this city, the marginalized, the hurting, the oppressed, those without a voice. Um, you probably see some pictures behind me, but you know, it's blood drives, prayer walks for schools, Brooklyn Feast, bring those back. Um, serving at the chapel at Bowery, partnering with City Harvest or North Brooklyn Angels, opening a food pantry, walks to support fair housing, supporting foster parents or single parents. This church has a long history of being a merciful presence in Brooklyn. So keep seeking the welfare of the city. Keep asking God very simply, who are you asking me to love? And how can I create space for their flourishing? At the end of our teaching text, we are given a strong reminder not to forget that all of this is God's work. The story of this church, past, present, and future, is God's story. He is authoring it, and he will be faithful to accomplish his purposes through it. 
one of the gifts of, of having been part of this community for as long as we have and seeing all of the change and transition that we've seen is that we've had an opportunity to witness time and time again that the story God is writing is not dependent upon any one person. No matter how gifted or influential they have been, the story keeps going. And I know that we just can't wait to hear what comes next for you, Oaks Church Brooklyn. Um, I have such confidence, um, not only in God's faithfulness and his presence and provision, but I also have just so much confidence in all of you. And I deeply regret that I have not been able to get to know everyone in this room, as I might one day have been able to do. Um, But you are good, good people. And I trust that you are going to just partner with God in all of the work that he wants to do. It has been such a privilege to be one of your pastors. And for those of you who have, I have been able to get to know, I just, I just want to thank you for the way that you've so graciously invited me into your stories. It has been such a gift to, to sit with you and walk with you and pray with you. Um, One of the pastors and writers that I have most deeply admired is Eugene Peterson. And when I read his authorized biography recently, um, it includes these excerpts from his journal. And I was struck by the number of times that he prays a version of this particular prayer. Lord, make me the person that everyone thinks I am. And this has deeply resonated with me (laughs) as I've been in this season of goodbyes because You know, I've received so many words of of kindness and affirmation and honor, and most of it I feel incredibly undeserving of. It's, It's really easy when someone has a literal platform to put that person on a pedestal, to elevate them disproportionately. And whilst honor is good and biblical, I think it's important to remember that the displayed version of a person is always a reduction of the real person. You may have not have seen me at my best. You've definitely not seen me at my worst. You could talk to my husband and my kids about that. Um, and I have hurt people in this community by things I've done, by things I've left undone that I feel deeply sorry for. We are all very human and very complex, and I am extremely imperfect, but with more, more beauty and brokenness than is often seen. Um, None of the staff or elders are perfect people either. We each have our flaws and our blind spots. We've all made mistakes in our leadership. But I cannot tell you how much confidence I have in all of them. Um, Your elders, Beck and Liz and Will, are wise and humble and good people who continually seek the Lord on your behalf, pray for you. And being part of this staff team, oh boy, it has deeply enriched my life with God. They are so deeply committed to Christ and to you. They humbly seek God for his leading. They diligently and faithfully pray for you. You are in really good hands. They also can have a lot of fun. I put this photo in at the end. Uh, Okay, this was last Sunday night, guys. We were just, you know, having a little dance party in, uh, in our apartment, suggested by Livy, of course, but they know how to have a good time. <laughs> um, Eugene Peterson also talks about the messiness of church. There's no perfect churches. There's no perfect pastors. And he writes this, in these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and give it a designated responsibility in the community to keep the community attentive to God. 
And my deepest and most sincere prayer is that as the imperfect person and pastor that I am and have been, that I have in some way helped you to become more attentive to God. And my hope is just that you will continue to grow in that attentiveness, to just simply do what he says and go where he leads because who else has the words of eternal life? And I wanna just publicly thank Rob Elkin, Tyler Staten, and Patrick Boatwright for the ways that they have each helped me to become more attentive to God. Thank you for your leadership and your care, not only for me, but for this entire church. If you would afford me this um, privilege, I would love you just to stand. And I'd love, love us just to pray together as we come to the end of our gathering today. Let's just pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are faithful. You are good and you are faithful. Your mercy and love pursues us all of the days of our lives. Just take a moment, can we, to just, as you're able, just, just speak out the faithfulness of God for a second. Just thank him. Thank him for the ways that he has been faithful to you in your life, for the ways that he's been faithful to this community. God, we honor you. From you are all things, and to you are all things, and you receive our thanks today. We give you the glory, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you. Thank you for this building. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you have journeyed with us, that you have never left us or forsaken us. In all of the change and transition, you have been our constant, and you will continue to be our constant. And Jesus, I just speak your blessing over this beautiful community of people. Lord, may they be a people of worship and prayer who, who look to you, who, who celebrate you as supreme, who are hungry for your presence, who desire to know you and to trust you, who give you everything, Lord, because you deserve everything. Lord, would you keep the oil of their lamps burning? for you and for your kingdom. Lord, I, I bless them with rich community. May there be no needy person among them. Break any spirit of rivalry or competitiveness. May this community begin to look even more like Brooklyn, Lord. We just pray just for more people from this neighborhood to come and find a home in this place, Lord, of all ages, of all races and ethnicities, Lord. Would you come and just gather your people together at this table? And Lord, I just want to pray that this community would just continue to have a heart and eyes to see the broken and the hurting and the marginalized, that this church wouldn't just exist for itself, but for the good of those who are outside of these walls, for the good of this city. And Lord, we, we pray for Brooklyn. We pray for New York City that we would increasingly see evidence of your kingdom reality breaking through, through the peculiar people of God, just loving well and living lives that point to a better way. So the Lord bless you and keep you, Oaks Church Brooklyn. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to just invite the, the band to come up. If you're a communion server, why don't you come on up as well? And in just a moment, we are, we're going to come to the table together. And thank you all for listening so patiently and graciously. And I just want to encourage you, if, if anything that has been said has resonated with you in some way, I just, I'm going to ask the prayer team to also just be available here. If, if you just want to come and receive prayer today, Maybe with regards to that sense of, of keeping the oil in your lamp burning with love for Jesus and, and passion for his kingdom. Maybe um, for someone to pray with you that you would courageously step into community. Maybe that, that God would give you eyes to see who he's calling you to love outside of these walls and that you would be faithful to that. But the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and a cup. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. And he gave the cup. He says, this is the, the, the cup that represents my blood poured out for the new covenant. And he told us to eat and drink this meal to remember him. And in this table, we get to align ourselves around all of those three things that I mentioned today, the supremacy of Christ. This is an opportunity to reorder your life, to come back into alignment, that there would be cohesion and congruence between what you say believe, you believe and how you live, to come under the loving grace of God and receive his forgiveness afresh. It's also a place of community. You're gonna come, if you're in the front half of the room, you're gonna come uh, to the people at the front. If you're in the back half, there's a, a center aisle where you can receive and you're gonna come to your brother or sister in Christ and you're gonna receive communion from them. And this reminds us of the shared life that we have together, that we are the body of Christ. And we also get to make a commitment to the Lord saying, Lord, would you take my life? Would you take our life as a community and would you share it? Would you pour out our life so that others can know the all-surpassing love of Christ? So as we come to the table today, all are welcome. All who profess Christ as Lord are welcome at this table. And as you come, if you want to come and kneel or receive prayer, please do that as well. But the table is open, the gifts of God for the people of God. Come and receive. <laughs>